Hello and welcome to the Apologetics 315 podcast with your hosts, Brian Auten and Chad Gross. Join us for conversations and interviews on the topics of apologetics, evangelism, and the Christian worldview. Don't worry. We handle this kind of thing all the time. Welcome to the Apologetics 315 podcast. This is Chad Gross. I am coming at you from Hagerstown, Maryland, and I am, of course, with the man, the myth, the legend, Brian Otten. And we are here this year. Happy 2022. Uh, we are going to continue to work hard to set apart Christ as Lord in our hearts and always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. But we are going to strive to do so with gentleness and respect. Brian, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yeah. Good to intro, Chad. You've got it. You've got the <laughs> posi- you've got the role now. <laughs> I've been practicing that for like ever since I bombed the last one. I need to up my game now and come up with something better. You know, you throw a verse in there and I mean business. I mean business. (laughs) Next time there's going to be tongues and prophecy on mine. (laughs) Take that. Hey, it was it was funny, though, because I was thinking today for some reason it it just popped in there. uh, That um, uh, I was like, man, we always say apologetics 315 podcasts. But I wonder how many people or if anybody's listening and they're like, I wonder why it's called Apologetics 315. (laughs) So that's why it's based on first Peter 315. When Brian founded the ministry, that seemed like a great name, considering the verse is always cited to justify why all believers should be involved in doing apologetics. Yes. Amen. Well, on a different note, my wife wanted to know if was your name really Chadwick? Oh, you know what? A lot of people have asked me that. First of all, no, it's not. It's just it's just plain old Chad. I'll tell you real quick how I got my name. And it really is quick. My mom. Now, remember when my mom, I'm 45. So when my mom was carrying me in the womb, she had she was convinced that I was going to be a girl Uh Uh, because of remember back then, this is before ultrasound and all this fun. Right. So she was going by like. My brother and, and you know, my older brother, she he felt different. She, he sat different in her belly. Uh, there were differences in her body. And she was convinced that I was a girl. So she had no boy name picked out. No boy name. Uh-huh. So that's how convinced she was. Uh, so obviously she went into labor. I was born. They were at the hospital and my dad and my mom had no name for me. And the the hospital was literally like. We can't send you home till he has a name. And so <laughs> she, they were watching in the hospital this nighttime soap opera that she doesn't remember what it was called. And there was a doctor named Chad. And my mom and dad were like, I like that name. And so they went with Chad. Now, when I was younger and people would ask me if my real name was Chadwick, I hated it. Like for some reason, I just thought it's not Chadwick. That's stupid. Now that I'm older, there's actually part of me that kind of wishes it was Chadwick. It's kind of, I don't know, distinguished a little bit. Yeah, know? well, you know, it could be like, well, yeah, my name's Chad, but you can call me Chadwick. Yeah, yes, yes. So. And so, so Judith, if you're listening, uh, my real name is Chad, but in my dreams, it's Chadwick. Awesome. She can call me Chadwick if she wants. <laughs> well, the, the reason she thinks that is because sometimes I refer to you as Chadwick in the house, you know, like. Oh, you know, OK. You know what I'm saying? Gotcha. So that was a really long answer to a really easy question, but I thought it was interesting. 
Cool. Well, we talked about 2022 and some reading plans. So I started this one, the David Gooding and John Lennox collaboration six book series, The Quest for Reality and Significance. So I'm almost uh, oh, yeah. almost done with book one, being truly human. And you know what? I've figured out the solution for me. It's a, it's a good book, but the solution for me, I'm just scanning it and then I'm feeding it into that app I told you about, that voice dream reader app, and just yeah. having it read to me when I'm doing stuff because I just don't have the time I used to have 10 years ago to sit down and read multiple you know chapters in a book a day. But right. I'm just plowing through it from scanning it and reading. So that's my new strategy to get through all these paper books that have just been sitting there for 10 years, you yeah. know, ever since I ran out of time due to kids. <laughs> I'm going to try something. I'm going to try something crazy this year, too. Uh, yeah. When I say crazy, it's really not crazy. I'm going to try reading one book at a time. That's that's also a good strategy. Yes, uh, seriously, because I'm realizing that. You know, it's cool when you're reading two or three books and then you finish all of them around the same time because you're like, oh, I got them all done. But at the same time, I'm I'm like, I wonder how much longer it took me. So I'm just going to try to read one book at a time and, and kind of hopefully digest what it says a little bit more. Yeah, because I'm always one that has like three or four books going at the same time. And sometimes that's a little chaotic in my brain. Yeah, that's also the something I'm doing as well. The um, caveat to that is that there's certain books I'm working through slowly, intentionally, like a little bit every day kind of a thing. So I'm going to yeah. keep that going, but I'm going to have one drilling, one book I'm just drilling through. But I happen to, this one is about ethics and morality, which is cool. Mm -hmm. And uh, I happen to be listening to, I mentioned to you, listening to that series of lectures by Dr. Peter Kreft. Yes. Kreft, Kreft. Um, right, right. I've, I've typically heard Kreft. But before I heard somebody else say it, I always called him Kreeft. Yeah. But well, yeah. it is Kreeft. Uh, right. Kreeft? Right. I, I don't know. They say it you on the lectures. You interviewed him, right? Did oh, you yeah. interview him? Yeah. yeah. I, I really enjoyed that. He's he's great. Uh, but man, if you're looking to listen to good lectures on Plato and Aristotle and the history of philosophy and ethics and all that sort of stuff, he's a teacher of professor of philosophy at Boston College. I don't know if he still is, um, but, you know, at the time of recording and uh, man, he's just such a great teacher, uh, totally listenable, you know, easy to listen to and uh, really enjoyable. And you'd come away actually understanding stuff. Better. Where'd you find that series? I don't remember. It's kind of been on my computer for a while. So. Oh, OK. OK. But uh, yeah, good stuff. Well, our topics for today as I wanted to talk about something that I discussed at one of a reasonable faith chapters a couple of years ago. And it was um, an evening where we were talking about making a concise case. So let me explain that and intro it, see if what your thoughts are on the idea. And then I'll go into a few examples of what I mean. So for those people listening, so when I mean a, a concise case, sometimes I, I hear people like just throwing out an argument or leading with an argument, like because they've heard uh, lectures or debates or something with like the Kalam cosmological argument or a contingency argument or things like that, they assume that, wow, because this argument is so powerful in their mind, they can just go wield it and it's just going to slay the enemies in, in their you know discussion or something like it, bring up an argument. And it's like leading with this huge plate of food, 
know, welcome to the restaurant. Uh, we're not going to bring you drinks or, uh, you know, uh, an appetizer. Here's your giant plate of spaghetti. We're not even going to set the table, man. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, first you bring a drink of water to the table. Then you bring want some breadsticks. And now you're like, OK, now the conversations are going. Everybody's kind of into it. And uh, when the food comes, it's not like uh, you're ready to go, you know. So I didn't plan on using that illustration, but kind of comes to mind is that when we're having a talk with someone, one of my main concerns is to ease into that conversation or hmm. to try to start a conversation without just like, let me just jump into philosophy. Let me just jump into theology where, you know, you or I, even though we're laymen, we're very familiar with these terms and the idea of what an argument is anyway. I mean, can you imagine just talking to someone on the street and saying, well, let me give you an argument. They, they might not even accept that or, or hear it like you're saying it, you know, like, yeah. I don't want to have an argument, <laughs> you know. So, <laughs> uh, so here's what I mean by making a concise case. And I don't mean that you're making a full case, but that you are you're giving people appetizers, basically. So when you say making a concise case, are we making a concise case for God, for Christianity? What are we making a concise case for? In my usage right now, what I'm talking about a concise case is Christianity in general, that it's true. Okay. This is basically where I want the conversation to be, if Christ, Christianity is true generally. And it might be in this realm or that realm. It could be about, yeah, there's a God or Christianity is true. Some of the examples I'll use today just to illustrate what I mean by what I mean by a concise case, a case that you can make quickly with the stone in the shoe style. You know, when we say leave someone with a stone in their shoe, just some little nugget that will stick with them. So if I tried to throw out the Kalam cosmological argument, you know, you'd have to leave the note card with the person <laughs> for them to walk away and have something that they could remember because they, it's the first time they've heard it. And even if they got it, when you, when you mentioned it in a conversation, they're not going to go away remembering it. They're going to forget that. And they're like, well, well, I don't know what that was, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so what I mean is that you give them a piece of the argument. Give, give someone something that's quick, but it's persuasive. Give mm. someone uh, nuggets that need unpacking, phrases that stick with them, but they might have more questions about. Like, don't give them the whole argument. Give them a piece. In my mind, I don't want to necessarily lay out the complete argument. And I might even want to hide or assume certain premises. There's something, I don't know, maybe some listeners might be familiar with something called an enthymeme, but it's when, in, let's say you have two two premises in our, in our argument leading to a conclusion, and you leave one out intentionally because you intentionally assume the other premise and it actually makes it more persuasive. So you're giving an argument without laying out all the premises because you, you want the person to assume that premise or to say, mm -hmm. hey, how did you get that? And then they fill in the blank. Back to like the Kalam argument, everything that begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist. Therefore, the universe has a cause. You might even, you could even just leave off one of those and say, well, the universe began to exist, didn't it? Therefore, it has to have a cause. Mm -hmm. So you're assuming that, not out of deception, but out of proper rhetoric where uh, you're using an enthymeme where you're actually say, oh, I'm assuming you understand that everything begins to exist has a cause. Why would you need to lay that out so explicitly? We're not doing philosophy while we're 
you know, like not doing formal philosophy in a conversation. So the idea is that you just try to make it more palatable. Well, you know, the universe began to exist. Don't you think that has a cause? I think that's more persuasive in a conversation than, well, let me give you an argument. Number one, everything that begins to exist has a cause. Number two, the universe began to exist. Number three, the universe has a cause. Now, don't you think the conclusion follows logically and necessarily from the premises? That you lost them. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm thinking about what brought this back to my mind was that I'm trying to formulate apologetics that I can explain to my kids. And so whenever I'm sitting down with them, I realize that what works for my understanding doesn't translate. So I'm trying to think of what they like. They like Legos. So, <laughs> you know, so I'm thinking, wow, those Legos just put themselves together really well, didn't they? <laughs> no, you did that. Can't they just do that by themselves? You know, so I'm trying to give package ideas that sort of design arguments in illustrations like that. So back to what is a concise case, it's less formal, it's more conversational. Making a concise case is the view that you never want to start with a full-blown argument if you don't have to. So I'm thinking about conversations with kids, conversations with friends, people who are not familiar with philosophy and arguments and theology. My thought is what I want to do is make a concise case. And I know I'm misusing the word concise case, but I'm just trying to make a quick, uh, pithy way to open that conversation and to get in there. And I can take some of these more formal arguments and take pieces of them and rephrase them so that they lead into unpacking the fuller idea. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, it does. I'm with you thus far. Okay. Um, just adding adding a couple of thoughts, I think, is going back to you using, which I think was very fitting, using that illustration of setting the table for the conversation. You know? Yeah. I think it's important to point out, too, is that if I had, for example, you and Judith over to the house for dinner and uh, you walked in and the table was bare, uh, I threw down a couple of plates of spaghetti and said, have at it. Uh, not only would it be it wouldn't be very helpful, but it would be rude. Right. Yeah, it wouldn't yeah. be thoughtful at all. It would be very inconsiderate. And so in the same way, when we whack people over the head with these, I mean, I love deductive arguments and, and philosophy and, and could talk all day about it. But at the same time, you have to recognize somebody's uh, level of knowledge when it comes to some of this through asking some good questions and through building a relationship. And then and then you slowly introduce these concepts like you were saying, you bring the drinks, you bring the breadsticks and, and you bring mm -hmm. those things. So there's that. I also think about uh, the point of having one conversation, I've heard it said, is to have another conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so we're not trying to uh, very few times. Are you going to be able to uh, get a whole case in in one conversation or get somebody to the cross in one conversation? But again, you want to uh, plant those seeds or put a stone in someone's shoe. And uh, the goal, of course, is, is that you do so in such a way that somebody says uh, exactly what the philosophers in Athens said about Paul. You know, some of them rejected him. Some of them went with him. But some some of them said, I want to hear more. Right. Yeah. And I, any of those reactions are good because at least they're a reaction. But at least if we can have a reaction of, hey, I want to hear more mm -hmm. and it leads to another conversation. And so I think that's important to keep in mind. I think those are great points. So 
here's an idea. How can you actually make a concise case in the way I'm defining it? Maybe that's a different phrase I could use, like uh, starting simple, you know. But mm -hmm. uh, for me, I think about what persuades me, not, not what are the best philosophical arguments. I need to know those. I think it's really helpful to know those. They do inform what does persuade me. But how would I phrase it to myself? Like when I'm giving people reasons to believe that Christianity is true, I have to be honest and say, this is why I believe it's true, not why someone else can prove it really strong. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So like someone said, well, why do you think Christianity is true? I also won't launch into arguments immediately. I say, well, I think there's good reasons to believe it's true so that then they ask for them if they want them. Or I might, you know, some be very brief summary and then see, do they bite? <laughs> you know what I mean? Because yeah. It's like, oh, you, you asked about my multi-level marketing plan that I'm in. You want to join? Let, let's sign you up right now. You know, it's, <laughs> you don't want to just like jump in as if that's the last conversation about that, you know? So I'd rather people be like wanting more, as you said, for having, having another conversation. The other thing is like, how do I phrase it to myself? What sounds persuasive to me? I might think about the formal arguments that I could rely on, but I might rephrase that argument in like a sentence or two at the most. And if possible, now I'm not an expert here, but I think make a question variation of that statement. Like back to the Kalam, because it's so commonly known amongst apologists. Sure. Why couldn't you just lead with, well, don't you think the universe needs a cause? You know, hmm. I think that's great because then you get them talking because basically what you're saying with that question, what you're implying is that, that it does need a cause. You're implying those other premises just by asking that question. Don't you think that the universe needs a cause? What are they going to say? Don't you believe it began to exist? You could back it up with another question. I also love that idea of getting them talking mm -hmm. and, and you actually listening. That was one of the things when we uh, read uh, David Sterrett's book, right? Jesus Conversations. Yeah. It's one of the things he talked about is he, he talked about asking great questions. But then in the next part, he went right into, but you've got to take time to actually listen. Because once again, just like we want to set that table and be respectful, that gentleness and respect that, that I opened the podcast with, right? Just with that, in the same way, when you're, when you're allowing somebody to talk and you're actually listening to them, letting them share what they believe and you demonstrate that you're listening to them, you're telling them that you affirm them as a person and that you care about them. Mm -hmm. And that, that's huge in these interactions. Mm -hmm. and, and I would like want to even say these are not like schemes and persuasion tools that uh, will help you win arguments. Right. This is not even the goal. The goal is like, be a real person, uh, pray for this other person in your life, maybe Amen. back up to there. And then when you're actually having a conversation, think about what really persuades you and give them reasons, but make a concise case, leave the stones in their shoe, but don't just lead with a giant argument. Uh, I think I've made that mistake <laughs> enough to know that don't do that, you know, in yeah. certain situations. Yeah. The attitude needs to be, Hey, I'm a beggar and I found bread, right? And I'm offering this bread to you. That, that's the attitude that we need to, in other words, I was a sinner and by the grace of God, I'm forgiven. And now I want to offer that same gift of forgiveness, the gospel 
to you. And the attitude you want to do that with is in simply of, hey, I've come to understand this and I want to share it with you. And of course, we, if Christianity is true, then it's our responsibility to share it as clearly and concisely as possible so that people can understand it. Yeah, good points there. Can I highlight something real quick that you sure. said that I really like? I think I, I think something Brian said that I would really commend listeners to to focus on for a moment would be this idea of of sharing things that are persuasive to you. I think that's really important. When you're making your case, whether it be in a long conversation where you have more time to break things down or in these quick little interactions that we're talking about and trying to make it understandable uh, or concise, they don't have to be quick. Um, it could be quick and concise or, or either or. But um, we, want, we want to make sure that we're sharing things that we actually find convincing. Because the reason I point that out is because when I first started learning about this huge collection of apologetics arguments. I would hear somebody give an argument. It sounded really good. I hadn't really done the legwork myself to understand it. And so I would share it with somebody. Then they would bring up a point and it would kind of be like, oh, oh yeah, I didn't think of that. You know, and mm -hmm. then as I was reflecting, I realized like, you know, that really wasn't that great of an argument. I was just kind of throwing it out there. Yeah. And so whatever you're sharing, make sure that you actually find it convincing and compelling. Uh, I happened to be, maybe in the last month, I talked to someone while I was at work. We were talking about making copies of products or something, and we were looking at a drawing for a leaf spring. And uh, I said, well, I can't get leaf springs there. That's just like a Chinese copy of a copy. And he's like, well, well, I can't use it. And, oh, well, it's 10 millimeters off here and telling me 10 millimeters off there. And, you know, that's what happens when you make copies and copies that always degrades, you know, it just copies of copies. And uh, it says like fruit flies. And he's like, oh, yeah, fruit flies. Don't you do experiments on fruit flies? I said, yeah, because they like multiply so fast that they like, hey, we're going to try to evolve something here by just copying it a thousand million times. And I said, well, there's another reason I don't believe in evolution. You know, they never come up with anything new <laughs> when they try to evolve something intelligently. And he's like, he goes, wait, wait, you don't believe we like descended from apes <laughs> and i'm like you rocked his worldview yeah it was it was like big eyes and i said no i mean uh, so then it was like concise case time i'm like there's so much evidence of design and everything in nature i mean so many interdependencies and it's not just this looks designed but it depends on this over here and that over there and i said but you have to remember everything relies on a genetic code based on information using illustrations that I find persuasive, even our moral sense, you know, the things are really right and wrong. I mean, if things are really right and wrong, that's, there's gotta be a source for that. You know, hmm. it was really cool because I wasn't trying to persuade him that it's true. I was just trying to sort of throw out a few little nuggets that we were like, mm, I never chewed on this before. And so maybe that we're open for another conversation in the future, but it was kind of a uh, serendipitous. That's cool. Right. So um, the other thing would be, you know, relying on like a maybe create a story of a personal experience of, of your reasoning. So the idea here is like sort of like the example I just gave, like, well, I've always felt there's truly a right and wrong. And I don't think we can explain the existence of morality without an actual lawgiver taking it and phrasing it in a way that makes sense in a sort of a summarized way rather than laying out on laying it out as an argument. 
And I'm not trying to persuade anybody with that. I'm just trying to say, here's what persuades me. Right. You're offering warrant for what you believe. Yeah. And I'm not. Yeah. I'm not trying to be airtight at that point. I'm not trying to be so philosophically precise that they can't fault it. In fact, go ahead and question my imprecise language because that just gives me the opportunity to be more precise. Right. So anyway, I want to sort of give an example or two or three of how this might be spelled out or played out. So we we talked about this Kalam argument. And for the people who are not even familiar with it, great, um, because that's sort of who the podcast is for in a way, or people who are familiar enough with these arguments, but, and they're persuasive to you, but you're like, well, how do I actually use this in our conversation without tripping all over myself? And like, oh, I didn't get the argument right. So maybe you've read a book like William Lane Craig's On Guard, which is really great. How do you use that? Well, this Kalam argument, for instance, everything that begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist. Therefore, the universe has a cause. It's nice and short as it is, like shortness of arguments is good, but could you shorten it further? So uh, you could say something like, well, I think that the fact that the universe began is evidence for for God because the universe needs a cause. So that's just a, a statement you can say without using that argument, but you're using the idea. And then when you can unpack it in a conversation, then you could go back to the argument. And, and that keeps you from possibly losing losing the person you know there are there are certain types of people who may not be familiar with deductive arguments and things like that who if you were to start out the statements if you were to start out the conversation saying something along the lines of well let me give you a deductive argument it's called the kalam cosmological argument premise one you see what i'm saying as soon as you begin that a lot of people are gonna they're still gonna make eye contact they're still gonna look at you but in their minds they're gonna kind of glaze over yeah because normal people don't talk that way yeah. And, you know, me and you offline have talked about how certain theological positions or theologians can be like poo-poo on philosophy because, ooh, you know, you're not being theological enough. But there's plenty of Christians who don't have anything against philosophy. They just don't like jargon that they're not familiar with. Exactly. So they might hate the idea of philosophy that has been created in their mind due to people talking over their head about good stuff, but you just got to keep it kid friendly. So back to the idea of how can I use this for my kids? You know, how could he shorten it further? This Kalam argument, it seems to me God's the best way to explain the fact the universe had a beginning, or you could say, you know, I think the universe needs a cause, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. why can't yeah. you say that? Use that as your lead. You know, I think the universe needs a cause and let them respond. And then question their responses how to make it into a question don't you think the universe needs a cause don't you think things that begin to exist need a cause or how do you explain the beginning of the universe you know ask Mm -hmm. them so you're using these arguments for conversation starters i mean i think leibniz right um he he asked the question why is there something rather than nothing and i even started even even starting with a question like that i i remember uh uh, the late Norm Geisler uh, telling a story about debating a prominent atheist and they were in the debate and uh, he asked the atheist during the cross-examination, you know, why is there something rather than nothing? And the atheist actually said, that's a really, really good question. And so point point being is that, um, you know, sometimes questions that have been around a long time are still great questions to ask to make 
the mm-hmm. point or to get somebody thinking because ultimately that's the goal right to get them thinking uh, yeah. because in our everyday life when we're going about our our jobs and and our everyday living we don't always stop to think about these things and so that's a great way to put a stone in somebody's shoe is just to ask them a question like that that they don't typically ponder right well here's here's a moral argument if god does not exist objective moral values do not exist but objective moral values and duties do exist therefore god exists so back to the ideas there are a way to shorten it further to make it more conversational in a statement so you could say these are just ideas i came up with i think that there's truly right and wrong or a moral law and that for that to be the case there must be a lawgiver or you could say i think god at best explains our moral experience of the world or i think without god is the source of moral values and duties that true right and wrong cannot exist now i think even though i like wrote that down some time ago i could think i could probably shorten it further like i think you need god for there to re- truly be right and wrong I think things can't yeah. really be truly right or wrong or good or evil unless there's a God. And then you could just go from there, you know? Yeah. Or, and, or even, or even saying something like, I think the moral truths that we all experience and even defend in many cases are best explained by God's existence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here's the second step. Try make, can you make it into a question? So you could say something like, don't you think that objective right and wrong really do exist? So that's kind of assuming they'll affirm the premise that objectivity requires an external standard. Or wouldn't you say that some things truly are objectively right or wrong? Isn't the fact that some things truly are right and wrong evidence that there must be an objective standard for the moral law? Now, I still think after I've written those down some time ago that they can be shortened even more. Like, how do you explain morality? Like how can something really be right or wrong? What's, you know, what standard do you use? Some of those things could be conversation starters. But if, if for someone were to ask me why I think God exists, I'd say, like, I truly have a sense of things being right and wrong. And I don't think that's just a social construct. I think that for things to be truly right and wrong, you, that there needs to be a standard. And uh, I think that best ex- is best explained by God. So there's just ideas of how you can maybe make it your own i'm not saying like use these for yourself unless you're like yeah that's perfect probably not but how can you make it into a question how can you lead with just a simple statement that spells out what persuades you in a way that's not going to give them the whole entree so chad you just mentioned why is there something rather than nothing and that is perfect because it leads right into this contingency argument yes now here's the argument now are you going to use this in a conversation Number one, everything that exists has an explanation of its existence, either in the necessity of its own nature or in an external cause. Number two, if the universe has an explanation for its existence, that explanation is God. Number three, the universe exists. Number four, therefore, the explanation of the universe's existence is God. Great for reading a book, understanding the concept, seeing if it's logically airtight, finding out every detail of the premises, but it won't work in a conversation Not the way I talk to people. (laughs) You you mean you're not going to explain the principle of sufficient reason to me right now? That's very, that's very disappointing. Why is there something rather than nothing? That's the question you start with. And you could just say, well, I think the best answer to that question is God. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think things create themselves. I think that even if the universe was there forever, I'd still want to know why has this been here forever? And there's maybe that principle of sufficient reason you mentioned is that 
even if something was there eternally, you'd be like, well, why has this been here eternally? Why did, why did it not start when everything else within the universe starts? You, why is the exception the universe being eternal? Um, you know, that sort of a thing. So you're actually just kind of looking for this sufficient reason behind that. Um, could you make it into one sentence? Yeah, I, I like this one. I don't think the universe can explain its own existence. Hmm. I think that the universe needs an explanation outside of itself. You know, it didn't cause itself. Anyway, there's a there's a couple, and we could do others. But uh, what do you? What are your thoughts so far? Well, no, I I love the idea of of making the arguments and putting them in bite size uh, morsels that people can comprehend. And I think one of the most important things is is that you're using the you know some of the classical arguments for God's existence. But you're doing so in such a way that it invites conversation and invites mm-hmm. interaction. I think if we're sharing them the other way, it would tend to be you being kind of the sage on the stage and sharing everything, but really not getting the person to think or interact with the argument. Uh, you know, I imagine uh, us being in a conversation. You're, I'm a believer. You're an unbeliever. I share the contingency argument with you. You have no familiarity with it. I share the premises that you just shared. It seems to me that you'll be looking at me. You'll be pretending you're listening and I'm going to get something basically like, huh, that's interesting. But I don't know that I'm going to get much more than that. You know, the person wants to humor you. They want to be polite, but essentially they don't know what you just said. They have no familiarity with it. But they don't want to be humiliated and say, I have no idea what you just said, or I don't understand what you just said, where when you repackage them, either in pithy little statements stating what you believe or what you find persuasive, or when you present them in questions, it's inviting conversation. It's saying, hey, what do you think about this? And I think that's the key here is that we want to invite this, uh, invite them into a conversation. I think if I had to summarize, though, your approach, I really like this, is you want to kind of set the table with, with kindness and, and even just starting the conversation. Again, going back to uh, Jesus' conversations, that's what Dave Starrett says, is that half the battle is starting the conversation, right? Then you want to kind of offer some appetizers, uh, appetizers being those little seeds stones in their shoe to get them thinking then the main course being those you know you beginning to either state what you believe or asking them what they believe and then engaging in that conversation and then just like at a restaurant you'd say hey come again right you want to invite them to have that conversation with you once again Uh, and so i think the approach you know makes a lot of sense and it could be very helpful and i wonder how impactful it could be if more christians discipline themselves to talk this way rather than saying, Hey, I'm going to memorize on guard and then whack everybody over the head with the arguments. Yeah. Um, And so that, you know, there's value in knowing those arguments. I don't want to degrade that. I'd recommend that, but take it a step further and think about how can I make it digestible to my 10 year old or even to my, my buddy who basically watches football and drinks beer, but doesn't read much uh, apologetics or philosophy. Yeah. So what I was thinking as you were sharing is, have you ever been in a conversation? This has happened to me two specific times where you're sharing, you're talking about a specific point or an argument, whether it be who, where did the universe come from? Or uh, did, 
what's the best explanation of the facts considering Jesus's resurrection, whatever it might be. And you have somebody who just wants to go in all on all these rabbit trails Mm -hmm. or what we might we might call, you know, logically, specifically, you know, we might call red herrings, if if you will. Uh, So, for example, I was trying to have a conversation about whether or not Christianity was true with somebody and they kept going back to the Old Testament and the Old Covenant and some of the really I mean, not even some of the more popular things that people bring up, but it was just very non-consequential questions that then I even started asking this person, okay, if I could give you an answer to this, would you become a Christian? And they, I mean, they'd be very openly like, well, no. And I would say, well, right. Well, therefore, do we really want to spend that much time on that? Or another time I was in a conversation with somebody and we were talking about, um, we had had a conversation about the cosmological argument, fine-tuning argument, moral argument, and the resurrection argument, and they wanted to talk about, you know, why did God allow slavery in the Old Testament? And so I have found, personally, it being very helpful to have a set of questions to kind of center the conversation, yeah. to say, okay, you, you are all over the map, and we're never going to get anywhere if you keep bouncing all over the map, Right. So let's let's find a point of agreement on a set of questions that we're going to agree to address. These uh-huh. are the questions. And obviously, this would be more in, in a setting of an ongoing conversation over yeah. a period of several conversations, not just one. And I found personally those questions that you've heard Frank Turek ask, where yeah. he'll say he talks about mere Christianity. And he says, if we can answer the questions, does truth exist? Does God exist? Are miracles possible? And is the New Testament historically reliable? If we can answer all four of those questions with a yes, then Christianity's true. And so I found in both those situations, uh, particularly in the one, if I, I was able to say to my friend, I was like, okay, we're all over the map here. We're not getting anywhere. I feel like we're spinning our tires. So do you agree that if we can answer these four questions with a yes, that Christianity is true. And he said, yeah. I said, okay, let's focus on those questions. Let, let's, let, that's where we're going to stay. And until we've answered these questions, we're not going to go anywhere else. Yeah. And then what also was helpful about that is it allows you to actually, it focuses the conversation on where they're, they actually are. Yes. So for example, this person, this individual said, yeah, I, I absolutely believe that truth exists. It, it's self-refuting to say it doesn't. I'm right there with you. Okay, good. All right. Where are you at? Does God exist? Do you believe that is, is true? Yes. I believe God exists. I, I don't know who he is, but I believe he exists. Okay. Do you believe miracles are possible because um, God exists? And I shared a bit about C.S. Lewis's comments about that. He said, yeah, that makes sense. If God exists, then he's at least able to do a miracle. Doesn't mean he has, but it means he's able. Okay, do you believe the New Testament's reliable? Uh, I'm not sure about that. Okay, that's where our focus is. That's mm-hmm. what we're going to focus on. Mm-hmm. Because you agreed that if these four questions are a yes, then Christianity's true. Those other issues that are important, and we're not going to avoid them, we're not going to not talk about them, but we're just going to say they're kind of distracting from the main issue right now. And these four questions are going to keep us on the main issue. If we can answer these four questions, yes, then Christianity's true. Then we can talk about those other questions at other points. Yeah. It sounds too like that makes a lot of sense because 
the fact that if you haven't settled the is it true or not issue, then why would you be talking about whether God did this in the Old Testament or did that in the Old Testament? Because, well, if it's not even true, what does it matter? It's kind of like uh, right. talking about the Lord of the Rings and whether they should have rode the eagles or not, you know, into Mordor. <laughs> like, okay, this is just mind, you know, wasting your time speculating. Whereas, okay, if it's true, then okay, now that now we can talk about the other stuff and actually have grounds to reconcile or come up with solutions or you know whatever so that makes a lot of sense yeah and i also like i like the um and i think honestly that turek's version stems from dr geisler's 12 points that show christianity is true and and he just condenses them Mm -hmm. but i like that because i know that people like dr craig and i think of like braxton hunter is another big proponent of this would say that all we need for christianity to be true is that god exists and that jesus rose from the dead but for me that doesn't cover enough ground uh, personally, um, especially when you're talking to people who aren't familiar. Uh, I feel like the the four questions Turek asks um, make a little bit more of a robust case, but they're also questions that are very understandable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I, I mean, I'm even doing a, se- a series of talks in the in the next coming month in the coming month on the question of is Christianity true? And those are the four questions I'm going to focus on because I have four weeks because I just think it makes it makes a really good case. And it, like I said, it keeps the main thing the main thing. And so I think in combination of starting out, like you said, um, again, I'm going to re- rephrase a summary, you know, kind of set that table uh, with the kindness and, and the gentleness and respect, S- start setting those appetizers out, you know, planting the seeds, putting the stone in the shoe then go to the main course, start talking about some more meaty things. And then hopefully if the conversation goes well, you know, hey, come again, let's let's do that again. But if you get in that conversation and you find that it's going here, there and everywhere and it's like trying to nail jello to the wall, because yeah. I know that's happened to me, mm-hmm. uh, then go to this. I'll tell you what, let's focus on these four questions. Yeah. Right. Um, or, you know, like I said, if you want to go a little bit more mirror, you could focus on those, those two questions of God's existence in the resurrection, but either way, it gives you some, some focus points that keeps you grounded from, from going all over the place. Uh, yeah, I like folk. I like your idea of focusing on those main things, uh, to be true. And, uh, from the outset of, of a conversation, if I'd like to add another thing that sort of branches off from this idea of conversation when you're navigating a conversation and you mentioned it sort of red herrings and it's not as if someone is always uh oh well they're trying to distract from the main point or something but for instance i remember talking to someone and they had some emotional things that were very emotional going on in their life and so this conversation i was able to get it on a certain track where we're talking about them and god you know where where they're at with god and Mm. then we it's because of the emotional things going on in their life, they're like, how could God allow such and such? How could he do that? And I'm like, okay, that's a really good question. But right now we need to put it over here on the shelf because right now what we're talking about is this. And those things come up when we're in an emotional situation. But really what I think we need to focus on is really where you're at with God right now. So there's that element of pastoral aspect that might be needed, but also maybe the conversational skill or awareness that to see when someone is 
taking subject away from what should be focused on, you know, mm. like yes. I'm, I'm always trying to think of oh, well, what is the main thing right now? If, if, if the idea is, is Christianity true, then anything that goes away from that is like, okay, that's really good. But we're, the main thing we want to, we're talking about here is, is the truth of Christianity. So let's put that over here. So I'm just maybe throwing out there that thing for the listener to take away as well as that when you're in the conversation, actually speaking with someone, it's going to be easy for them to distract. And it might be if you're into apologetics, you could be like, oh, well, I know the answer to the problem of evil. <laughs> I figured it out. <laughs> so let me just take this one. This will only take five minutes. And then, right. you know, there goes the conversation <laughs> about them repenting and giving their life to Jesus and turning away from their sin and getting right. You know what I mean? Because yeah. you just had to go down that and answer them because you felt like you were smart, you know? And, you know, if listeners are, uh, happen to be thinking about how they've approached an unbeliever and they're hearing things that we're saying are errors, for example, trying to go off on every rabbit trail that the, the unbeliever, uh, drags you down. And I quite agree with Brian that it, a lot of times we, will assume the worst here in those interactions, but it could be that, Hey, the reason they're going on all these different topics is because they've been thinking about this stuff for a long time and yeah. nobody talks to him about it. And so now they finally have somebody talking to him about it. And so it's all just coming out. So that that's not a bad thing. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. If you're hearing some of the things we're saying and you're kicking yourself and saying, Oh, I've done that before. The only reason I know a lot of this stuff is because I was on my blog we're emailing back and forth with uh, unbelievers and I would send my stuff to Brian and I would say, Hey man, do you want to look this over? And Brian finally, I remember I was interacting with a guy named Bob. I, I, I remember this. And Brian was literally like, Hey man, a lot of good content, a lot of good stuff. He was very nice, but he said, you guys are all over the place. Like you're going to go back and forth with this guy for how long? And he's just going to keep going. He's already demonstrated that. And Brian was the one that started helping me begin to think about, okay, what's the real focus here? What's the real issue here? What do you want to spend your time discussing? Because you're, you're trying to answer four or five different points here. And as soon as you answer them, he just comes back with four or five more. And so that, so I learned this myself from, from Brian. And so my point is, is that it does take practice. It does take having other people, uh, you know, to bounce thoughts of and stuff. And so look at it as a journey. Look at it as learning. Don't be discouraged. Keep at it. Well, I'm glad that was helpful. Uh, I find all this sort of stuff always good to try to refresh myself on because it reminds me that I, I want to have more conversations with people. And that uh, and I think that when we talk about conversations and how we want to have conversations and what we want to achieve in those conversations, then we start seeing the opportunities as well. So even if we're not doing it, let's start talking about it so that at least if nothing else, our eyes are opened up a little bit more to see the opportunities that are right in front of us. And let's pray. Mm -hmm. We pray for you in Jesus name that opportunities would come to you and that you would be ready to give an answer. And so, amen. Thanks for joining us for the podcast. We wish you all the best in 2022. We hope you'll stick with us. Yes, and Happy New Year, and thanks so much for listening. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you have a question you'd like us to address or just a message for us, feedback, good or bad, you can either email us at podcast at apologetics315.com or leave a voice message for us using SpeakPipe. 
Just go to speakpipe.com apologetics315 to leave us a message. And remember, if you include a Ghostbusters quote in your question, we guarantee that we'll read it on the podcast. And we also ensure up to 50% better quality answers. Also, if you've enjoyed today's podcast, please leave a review in iTunes or the podcast platform of your choice. And please share this episode with a friend if you found it useful. Remember, you can find lots of apologetics resources at apologetics315.com, along with show notes for today's episode. Find Chad's apologetics stuff over at Truthbomb Apologetics. That's truthbomb.blogspot.com. This has been Brian Auten and Chad Gross for the Apologetics 315 podcast, and thanks for listening. Thank <laughs> you.